I was brought to the hospital right away. Um, and I was in the emergency room. I guess I had a couple seizures. And I was vaguely aware of someone in the room with me. And it was, it was actually a year afterwards that I realized that was that was a nurse or somebody who was there just to, was on suicide watch. Welcome to the Depression Files, where we talk about everything related to mental health. From depression and other mental illnesses, to medication, to suicide awareness and prevention, to our current mental health system, and of course, to the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. We educate those who may know little about mental illnesses while giving hope to those who may be suffering. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. All right. Uh, We are here today with JP. I want to welcome JP to the show. Thank you, JP, so much for joining me. Oh, Al, uh, thank you for having me on. So I know um, we uh, touch base via Twitter, and... uh, I think I don't even remember originally how we connected, but um, one of our tweets caught the other's eye, and then um, I had noticed and realized that you were living in the Twin Cities, just like yeah. I am. Yeah, yeah, it's ironic, um, and I, I don't remember either if it was one of your tweets that got picked up and I saw, or what. Uh, for sure, I don't, I don't know. Um, so. Hey, can uh, I'd like to just start by asking you if you would just share a bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, so I'm 44. Uh, I have been here in Minnesota for three years. I have a ex-wife and four daughters back in Michigan. Wow. Uh, and they span everything from 22 down to 11. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Birthdays are happening, but yeah, 11. Um, and I've been officially diagnosed for probably about 14 years with major depressive disorder. Okay. Um, and most recently we've tacked on, uh, avoidant personality disorder and dysthymia. Okay. Uh, which I, I'm not sure if you know, a lot of people I talk to within mental health circles don't know dysthymia. So, uh, as far as I'm aware, dysthymia is pretty much a, a con, a continual constant kind of low grade depression. Um, right. that's, you know, Continual as far as I share with us uh, more about what dysthymia is exactly right, so You know if we think of it on a scale. So if we put uh, Let's say my wife as a quote-unquote normal person right without without the depression that I that I deal with and You know, she's her typical day. She's at a seven um, You know on a scale of one to ten on great days. We you know, whatever we go out and date night then maybe she's a nine or a ten on bad days, she's probably, you know, a four or five really bad days, probably a two or three. Uh, and, you know, so if, her mood, if, her mood bounces around. Yep. Yep. Ups and downs, just like, like an, an average person. Right. Like healthy yep. emotional cycles. Right. Um, with me, I probably my best days, I'm at a four. Right. And my average day is, you know, a two or a three. And it's just it's like the you hear about the fog of depression and and that that's certainly one thing that clouds your, your thinking makes you feel like you're running in mud. Uh, and on like that, this is, this is a kind of fog as well where I don't get excited about anything. Mm. Um, and it, and that kind of leads into anhedonia as well. Um, 
which is 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 often a case of folks on medication for depression where they just don't feel anything. Right. Um, but this is I'm perpetually down on myself, perpetually frustrated with myself. Uh, you know, I, I get frustrated with others uh, at times, but predominantly I'm kind of always inwardly focused. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, my my best day is probably your worst or maybe not you. I'm not sure. Um, we haven't talked a lot about about your moods and how you're doing. Right. Um, but to the average Joe on the street, uh, you know, your worst day is probably close to my average to high best day. Mm. So is dysthymia, is that something that you're working on on a continual basis then? Is that something like a diagnosis like that are are doctors essentially saying that's how you're going to be no matter what you do to to better yourself or is that something where you could make it so that your average day is you know a couple of notches higher on an average versus where it's at and gradually work out of dysthymia right well i mean that's the goal with talk therapy and medication right and things like that um you know, it it wasn't clearly discussed. Uh, I went in and did the, I took the MMPI. It's, uh, gosh, I should have had that more prepared. Minnesota no Mental Health something, something, something. Some type um, of assessment. Yeah, it's an assessment. And that's where this all came from. Uh, okay. Dysthymia and the avoidant personality disorder. Um and that gentleman who who scored the test and you know did the the art of the test taking, where you know he kind of interpreted this or that, um, he basically just said, "Yep, this is what we got, and I'm going to give this information to your therapist as well, and you know if you'd like, you should give a copy to your psychiatrist." Mm. Um, so How long ago really, was that? Uh, that was ooh four three months ago. Yeah, three months oh, ago. So that is very recent that you got the additional two diagnoses. Right, right. Okay. And it, it actually came up. Uh, my therapist, Alex, suggested I do it um, because we were at a crossroads trying to decide if, if I had some kind of personality to dis- disorder or if I was on the autism spectrum somewhere. Okay. Um, and, you know, a lot of those things kind of overlap. Right. Uh, it's amazing how much, you know, mental illness overlaps with other mental illnesses. Mm, um, absolutely. Uh, so Alex and I haven't really gone into that so much yet. Okay. Uh, we're working mostly on the depression because I, I usually score high on the suicidal ideations and things like that. Um, so we have more pressing things that we're worrying about right now than um, just kind of overall mental malaise, I right. guess we'll call it. Right. So was part of the idea of the assessment to kind of, um, uh, what's the word to, to make sure you, uh, to get rid of the possibility of autism, to kind of clear that up. And, and, and I'm wondering, so I'm wondering about that as well as what was that like to get those diagnoses? Were you surprised, shocked? How, how did that feel? Um, so yeah, the, the point of the assessment was, not necessarily to preclude one or the other specifically, but to just get an idea of what we're dealing with. If it's, you know, autism spectrum, if it's borderline personality disorder, avoidant personality disorder, or 
one of the many others, you know, or maybe right. just a generalized social anxiety even. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the recurring theme we're going to have as we have this interview here is that uh, nothing surprises me, nothing raises, piques my interest. Ah, uh, right. Um, so, no, getting getting those, I mean, the, the stymia I was pretty much on board with without someone officially telling me that. Right. Um, on Alex's suggestion, I looked into the personality disorders. Um, and like I said, they, they overlap so darn much that it was very difficult for me to discern where I thought I was. Mm. Um, but, and you know, with official diagnoses, uh, let's say that a psychiatrist is going to do, um, he'll have seven, eight, nine, check boxes of, you know, this person exhibits this behavior, this behavior, this behavior. And generally you have to hit like five or six out of those seven, eight or nine to be considered, uh, having such and such a a diagnosis. Right. Um, and if I look at the avoidant personality assessment or check boxes, I, I, I believe I hit every single one of them. Um, so, and I, I had done that before I received the the results. So I, I wasn't, I don't think I would have been too surprised, uh, if I was in a more open state of mind. Right. So, you know, I, I think I was halfway there on my own. Okay. So you've got this, um, kind of low grade depression continually. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, you know, you talked about being diagnosed with a major depressive disorder as well. Yep. So is that something that you cycle in and out of different depressive bouts or, or how does that play into it all? Yeah, they, they come and go. Um, obviously, uh, well, two and a half years ago I had my latest suicide attempt. Um, and I'm not sure where you fall on terminology for different things like that. I know that's uh, it's a big topic right now in the the mental health world. Right. Um, but for my, for my explanation, it's an attempt. Um, and during that time, it, it's funny. So that was January, 2015, 2014. I was always calling. That was the year of me, right? I lost 50 pounds. I started running. I ran a half marathon. Uh, just, it was just such a good year. I met my now current wife, uh, reacquainted, I guess it was. And, you know, I was, I was riding high on so many things and then it, it, it just crashed. I I finished that half marathon. It was in October, maybe early November. And I found myself without a goal anymore. Mm. You know, I, I had lost more weight than I probably should have. So I didn't have that to work towards. Um, and then I just, it just crashed. I was, it was uh, a couple of weeks after that. I was on a leave of absence from work and seeing a, a therapist all the time, trying to get some medication. I was um, receiving my prescriptions from my general practitioner at the time. Um, because as you know, the, the availability of psychiatrists to new patients is, is pretty slim. Right. Um, and he was a great guy. And, you know, he's like, hey, let's try this. Let's try that. Uh, one thing I try to tell folks who listen to my show is, you know, your general practitioner will help you out as much as they can, but they don't really understand the medication the way a psychiatrist does. Yeah, I would agree a hundred percent. 
Um, so if you're starting out and that's how you get your medication, great, but get in to see a psychiatrist. Um, and yeah, so from the time I took my leave of absence to January 21st, uh, it was just five and a half weeks and that was the lowest I've ever been. Um, and you've talked about when we first interacted on Twitter, um, you know, since being in Minnesota here, I've had some pretty low times. Mm. I've, you know, I've wondered about how high is the high bridge, right? Right. Um, I, there was a time, uh, I, I couldn't walk. I used to live over by the Wabasha bridge and I couldn't walk across it because I didn't trust myself not to hop over the railing. Right. Um, so yeah, the major depressive disorder is, and it, they tack on recurrent, um, because I've clearly shown symptoms of this going back at least the 14 years. Okay. Um, so yeah, that kind of comes and goes and kind of the insidious thing about it is like depressed mind is just a depressed mind. It's, it's what you are. And when I start feeling low and I start, you know, doing different things and thinking about suicide options, it's just so matter of factly. Right. Um, I like to push back a little bit on the, it's just who you are piece because yeah, I think it's almost a dangerous situation when you start kind of defining yourself that way. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm hoping that it doesn't have to be that way, right? Like you mentioned, through therapy, through medication, yep. hopefully you can get better. And if you get stuck in the mind frame of this is who I am, this is my identity, um, it, you, I think you tend to give less effort into a, a strong recovery. Yeah, um, and, and let me back up on that because I... I, I I think I was using that as a, it's just who you are as in at that moment, that's, there's no dialogue going on in your head. Okay. Right. It, it is the, the de- depressed mind driving. Right. Right. And everything is just, um, I used to, I say that my last suicide attempt was just like taking out the trash. It was really so matter of factly, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Right. You know, no, no emotion about it. It was just, that's what I was doing that day after I dropped the kids off at school. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned not wanting to walk across the bridge yep. just because you didn't trust yourself, right? What were other uh, symptoms you were going through at the time? Well, then I was, um, that was, geez, four months after my, uh, my attempt. And so that was four months here in Minnesota. Um, and a lot like, when I was first diagnosed, I didn't really know what that meant to be depressed. Um, I didn't really know what it meant to be recovering from an attempt like that. Um, and so I thought everything was normal, but clearly it wasn't. Um, most of my symptoms at the time were suicidal ideations, um, withdrawing from everybody. Um, Isolation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, this is before we were married, but my wife and I, we were, when I moved to Minnesota, we, she took me into her house. So we were living together. Did you make the move because of your wife? Um, was that what brought you to this cold, cold city? And where did yeah. you move from? Oh, Michigan, right? Yeah. The middle of Michigan. So okay. it's, it's not too different. 
Um, the, the move was predominantly to get me to focus on myself, right? I mean, there were a lot of issues with my ex-wife and we, we, uh, weren't, it wasn't the healthiest of relationships. Um, and it wasn't anything like, like abuse. We didn't fight. We didn't argue. It was just, I felt like she was the boss, right? And everything that she said went, whether how it affected me or not. And it was probably brought on more from myself than what she put into it. Mm. Um, but it certainly had an effect on me during right. my time there. And so uh, you so, just felt like you needed to get away from there. Yeah. Well, actually, as I remember it, um, is that my wife, Nora, and my, my ex-wife, um, they had discussions about what should JP do when he gets out of the hospital. And they were the ones kind of leaning towards, well, maybe he should go to Minnesota, um, and just see, you know, go, go out there, get, get into therapy, right? get, get on a, a, a good course of, uh, medication. And so how did you know Nora who was several states away? <clears throat> Yeah, uh, that's a long story, probably. <laughs> okay. um, but we, we went to high school together, uh, barely knew each other, didn't talk. Um, Facebook came along and, you know, early on you're kind of friending everybody if you right. recognize the name. Yep. Uh, and we sat quietly on Facebook for many years and then, you know, she commented on something and I sent her a message and next thing you know, we were messaging until midnight every night and just, uh. Yeah, it's a modern-day Facebook love story. Yeah, right. Oh, that's awesome. So you decided to make the move. Was that challenging? I know you mentioned you had four kids in Michigan. You still yeah. do, right? Yeah. Uh, it really was. And my take on the whole thing was I was still you know, feeling myself out, trying to get to a good place. And then I would decide, am I going to stay in Minnesota or am I going back to Michigan? Mm. Um. And it became clear over the months and months that uh, probably Minnesota was the healthier choice for me. Um, but I wasn't prepared to make that decision to say, okay, girls, uh, you know, I'm moving. You know, I, I still had a room back at the house where they lived. Uh, it was very difficult. Um, right. And I, I tossed and turned and fretted over that for probably three months trying to decide. I, I couldn't I, I couldn't make the decision between what I thought was better for the girls versus what was clearly better for me. Right. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I still kind of fight with it a little bit now, when, you know, two years after that yet. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, do you so see them see them frequently? I've been very fortunate that Nora um, has a very good job and made enough money for us to live off of. Uh, so I, I really could just focus on on me. Right. And, um, so every every six to eight weeks, I managed to drive back and see them. Okay, awesome. Um, I just recently took on a part time job which has pretty flexible scheduling. So I should be able to still do that. Great. Um, but yeah, I mean, great kudos to Nora for, for letting me do it. And 
you know, essentially I, I was a house husband for two years. Um, when you, you know, first so, moved here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I guess I still kind of am, uh, you know, I try to do as much as I can for Nora because she's clearly done so much for me. Right. Um, but you know, so it's a, it's a little bit of a toll when, when I leave town for four days, five days. Yeah. Um, you know, there's two kids here, her and her ex-husband, um, they live half time here, half time with them. He lives just down the road. Um, so, you know, there's more than just keeping the house. Mm. They count on me to, right. to do a lot with the children as well. How old are the kids? They are 11 and 13. Okay. So before you um, ended up taking a leave of absence from your work, what uh, what type of work were you doing? I've always done retail. Okay. And I was working for Home Depot at the time. How about your uh, new part-time <clears throat> gig here? Um, actually, it's retail from the other side. So I'm a service rep for Procter & Gamble in uh, Target stores and Cub stores. Uh, okay, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's right. If I remember correctly, you just started uh, the end of July, didn't you? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So how's that been going? Uh, pretty well. Um, actually, uh, we've uh, messaged back and forth about my sleeping problems right now. Right. Um, you know, I think I'm starting to come out of that, but I'm getting anywhere from four to five and a half hours of sleep a night. Um, and I took on a little bit of extra work. So I've worked essentially full time last week and this week. Uh, but then that'll be done after, after tomorrow. Okay. And um, you'll go back to a part-time schedule. Yeah. Yeah. 22 to 25 hours a week. Okay. Yeah. So that's your first time working in a couple of years, is it? Um, more or less. Yeah. I, I did three, four months after I got here when I, I, I deal a lot with what I should be doing. You know, I should myself to death. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. So I, I went through a time early on where I thought, okay, I, I should be ready to go back to work. So I did. I went back to work with Home Depot. Um, and it wasn't three weeks, four weeks that, that I was, I spent a weekend troubleshooting my suicide attempt, mm. like figuring out where I went wrong and this is me thinking, this isn't me right. saying, hey, this is, you know, how did, how did I go wrong? What, what, geez, I should, I should have parked like in the middle of the woods and threw my keys away when right, I did. Right. Um, and that was kind of eye opening and I, I stepped down from, from working at that point. Okay. Well, um, congratulations on your new job. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, when, you know, you had also mentioned avoidant personality disorder. Yes. How, how does that play into, um, starting a new job? I would imagine that would make it challenging in some ways. It does. Um, but to be honest, I don't interact with people all that much. Mm. You know, I go into the store, we've got a tablet and, you know, hey, here's these 28 things we need you to check on and give us a response on. And then if you have time, straighten and fill. Okay. Um, so on occasion, I have to talk to somebody. Um, but I don't, I don't struggle so much with uh, short term interactions. Okay. So, you know, if, you know, when I worked retail and I was on the sales floor all the time, customers were my favorite because they were like a four minute friend. Right. 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 You talk to them. Hey, great. How you doing? Wonderful. All right. Here's your, what you need. Great. Have a good day. Mm -hmm. 
um, any kind of conversation over three minutes, four minutes, and I start itching to get away. Right. Um, I used to think that, I still think that the more I talk to you, no matter what the subject is, the sooner you're going to find out what a horrible, awful person I am. Uh, man, you really beat yourself up a lot, don't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, and my Nora sees it and I see it, but it just, it's like taking out the trash. It just, it just is. I would imagine that is something that you're working on a lot in therapy. Yep. And are yep. you guys using cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. So, and, uh, you know, maybe you can share a bit more about that, but from what I know about CBT, it's basically shutting down those thoughts, right? So recognizing that you're having that thought, maybe asking yourself for evidence, like yep. proving to yourself, well, wait a minute, nothing, nothing really proves that fact. And then trying to change those thoughts. Right into yeah. more productive, and, better, yeah. positive thoughts. And you nailed it. And, yeah. um, you know, you, you mentioned that I beat myself up a lot and I've done it for so long that, uh, it's so ingrained in me mm. that when I'm looking for those facts or, you know, or, or lack of facts for, you know, why I'm an idiot for reason X, Y, or Z, right. I don't see them. Now, if, if, you know, if, if we were hanging out and you did the same thing, you know, I've got a million reasons why, oh, it's okay. Al just, you know, had a little slip up. Yeah. Yeah. But if, if I do it, it's, it's almost like my eyes glaze over and all I say, God, you idiot. Well, and that's exactly, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that example of if it were me doing it, how supportive you would be. And I've heard people say, and I think it's a really good suggestion, try, you know, treat yourself the way you would treat your best friend, right? You would totally rally around them and support them and not beat them up like you beat yourself up, right? Right. Yeah. I, you know what? I fully will admit right now, I, I don't know how to do that. That's yeah. a switch that needs to be flipped over. Right. And I, I don't know where that switch is just yet. But you are working on that hard with your therapist. Yep, and with Nora also. Okay, great. And they have workbooks and everything, right? Does your therapist give you homework? Uh, a little bit now and then. He's not a big homework kind of guy. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, he recently has given me a little bit. And have you been with the same therapist for a long time? Uh, no. Um, so Alex is who I am seeing. Uh, and I saw him, I don't probably seven, eight months after I got here. I okay. saw him. I really liked him. My girls came out for a visit. I said, Hey, do you guys want to go to a therapy session with me? Just, you know, he's always big on educating my kids. Yeah. Awesome. So showing them that, Hey, this is what therapy's about. It's not some scary thing. Right. Um, and then, uh, my dad back in Michigan also had surgery and I went out there to help out his surgery on his foot. So he wouldn't be able to walk for a good while. Um, and, uh, the bottom just fell out for me while I was there. Mm -hmm. uh, I stopped taking some of my medication for sleep at night because I was terrified that something was going to happen and they were going to need me and I needed to have my faculties about me. Right. Um, and while I, I didn't, I canceled quite a few appointments I had with Alex, 
but apparently I didn't cancel the last three, which I missed. Um, and you know, when there's only so many no call, no shows you can have with mm. your therapist when that, and then that relationship is damaged. Right. <clears throat> um, so I bounced around to different people had, uh, trying to find somebody who I connected with. Um, and then one day Nora said, Hey, why don't you just try calling Alex and see if he'll take you back? And I called him up. He said, sure, I'd love to have you back. And so now we're, we're about six months strong right now. And okay. Oh, that's cool that he, he took you back and was willing yeah. to do that. Yep. Um, so those are, uh, some pieces that really frustrate me. You know, I was at a behavioral health clinic and, saw their policy, you miss one uh, appointment and you get charged $20 and you miss two and they drop you. Right. And I'm just thinking like, you're working with the most vulnerable people. This is a yeah. behavioral health clinic. Many people can't get themselves out of bed and you're right. going to charge them and drop them. Right. Um, yeah, that that stuff is frustrating for me. Yeah, I thought that same thing too. Um, so Alex took you back and you didn't feel like that relationship was broken then when he took you back? Uh, well, I wasn't sure until we got together right. uh, and had our, you know, first, second round of sessions Yeah, and it was just like it had been before. He's, he's right. a great guy. He, he pushes just enough. Um, he's responsive to things I want to talk about. So great. I, I do think it is so important to find a therapist that you click with, you know, anytime somebody starts therapy and they're like, ah, it's not for me. I, I urge them to shop around a bit. It sounds kind of crazy. And I know it's a pain in the beginning and sharing yeah. your, sharing your crap and everything with many, di several different people, but you really have to find the one you click with and then it can be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to interview with them if, you know, if you're lucky enough to get someone in your first, first attempt, great. But you know, back, uh, two and a half years ago before, uh, that January 21st, I was seeing a therapist and she was, she was no good for me. Mm. But at the time I recognized that I was struggling and in my head, I just validated it by, well, I'm doing something right. I, I knew she wasn't a, mat, a fit for me, but it was something, you right. know, that kind of, you don't, you don't quit a job till you have a job. Yeah. You don't quit a therapist till you have a therapist. So how long, how long did you stay with her? Um, you know what? That was only two months, really. Mm -hmm. um, because then that January came along and then I moved here to Minnesota. Right. So, you know, I'm wondering, too, with your the place you're at where, as far as depression goes, dysthymia, some um, bouts of major depression, and I know you did just start a part-time job, but did you ever consider any more intensive of a program, like a partial hospitalization program? Yep, I've done, uh, when I first got here, I went and did one at uh, Regions. Okay. Um, and That is where I did mine, by the yep, way. <laughs> yep, it's it's great program. Yep. Um, but about seven days in, my insurance decided that I wasn't sick enough. Oh, you're kidding. No. So that was it. I had to leave that program. You are kidding. Uh, oh, that's no. another frustration. Yeah. Uh, that health insurance can make that decision. Right. Um, you couldn't get a, doc a doctor note or something stating, yes, this is needed? No. 
Oh, no, my and goodness. The nurse, one of the nurses uh, found a way to get me like another 10 days in their graduate program. Okay. So, you know, you, you complete that the first program and then you go on kind of a... Like a step down? Yeah. Okay. Um, and that was not run nearly as well as the other program. Mm. Uh, we went in, we sat around a big table and we each took turns reading from a workbook out loud. Okay. And it's, you know, it was like fourth grade. Right. Right. So that was it for that. Um, then I tried, I went to another one and it was a, you know, an outpatient program and had some good parts, but there was a lot of, in my mind, a lot of woo going on. Okay. Um, you know, in one of the classes, the woman told us that essentially she told us breathing right can cure what ails you. Mm. And, you know, while breathing is important, you know, it's not, you know, she flushes out toxins and this and right. that. And, that. Okay. Um, and there are a couple other things that really frustrated me more than I was getting benefit yeah. from something else. Um, Do you think part of that could have been your mindset um, being in the midst of depression? It, it very well could have been. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I talked with Nora about it. I talked with uh, my psychiatrist about it. And right. we, we were all on board. Like, okay. Okay. You know, I've got these things. I was seeing a different therapist at the time. I can't even remember who that was. Um, so it wasn't like I just skipped town. Yeah. No, that's um, cool. You talked through it. You made sure you were making the right decision. It sounds yeah. like you did it the right way. Um, I do know that sometimes I think it's challenging when you're already in a depressed state. You know, I went to the partial hospitalization program and I felt like there were like two or three people there. Like I couldn't even believe they were working with people, <laughs> yeah. let, let alone people who were going through a mental illness. So, um, but I just kept telling myself, I'm going to get some little nugget out of every session I do because I need to get better. Yeah. Um, so I just battled through those times, tried to take everything I could out of the program. And, uh, yeah, like you said, it was a good program. I'm sorry you couldn't finish it. That that's a, a major bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I would have liked to, um, and we're, we're so you, almost at our out-of-pocket max here this year, so maybe I can get into one. Right. So you left uh, left the one downtown because you weren't feeling good, and was that your last attempt at something more than just um, an hourly therapy? Yeah, I went session? to a um, DBT okay program for a little while. Yep. Um, geez, I'm starting to see a routine here for me, but the you know there were. Two therapists. One was my personal therapist, and then uh, like her boss who sat in on the group meetings. Yeah. Um, and she told us one day. Essentially, she said, "What I heard was, um, if you're physically sick, maybe you need to stay in bed all day. If you're mentally sick, you know, you just got to suck it up and get out there." And that really struck me as being awful. Yeah. Just, just, and so I, I waited, I, I, you know, the next week I went up to her and I said, Hey, you know, this is, this is what I thought I heard you say. Is this really, you know, maybe I mis misunderstood you. And she said, no, I, you know, I think the best advice when you're having just an awful depressed day is just get up and go. Wow. <laughs> and that, that, that really, that shocks me that, that yeah. a therapist, somebody in a program like that 
working in a program like that would ever say something like that. That sounds like the, you know, the advice we get from people who have never been through depression, right? right. Just just pick, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, get out, enjoy a good yep. day, yeah, watch a funny put a, movie. Put on a smile, <laughs> you'll be great. Yeah. So. Seems like a little bit of lack of understanding there. Yeah. Yeah. I was just really surprised that it came from, from her and, you know, I, I didn't have the, the patience to have a deeper philosophical discussion with her about it. Right. You know, maybe there's some nugget in there that she's trying to help people with, but right. to, to think I heard it and then to have her confirm that what I heard was true. I, I really had a hard time taking more from her. Right. So you left that program. Yep, I left that program yeah. again after talking with Nora. Right. And, uh, and it was shortly after that that I got back with Alex. Okay. And, I, I mean, the only piece of what she said that makes any kind of sense to me at all is that I agree it takes effort, right? I, I do think you have to put an effort into recovery, and I think right. that's damn hard a lot of the time and isn't going to happen all the time. Right there. There may be days when you end up staying on the couch as much as you are trying to get off of it because that's where you're at. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Well, boy, you've had some bad experiences with these places. Well, like you said, you know, if you have um, if you reach out of pocket and you can get a doctor's note or a note from Alex, your therapist, um, I would urge you to try to get back into Daybridge at Regions or, or yeah. another partial hospitalization program, if, particularly if you could work it into your schedule or take a, a little leave. I know you're just starting your new job, so it might right. not be the best timing either. Yeah, I might be able to work it in to yeah. my schedule. It's, it is very flexible. So Okay, oh, that's cool. It sounds like a great job you've landed that, that meets your needs. Um, less social interaction, but it's getting you out of the house. Yeah. It's giving you something to do. It's flexible. That's awesome. Um, I meant to tell you earlier when you talked about Home Depot, there's a guy in, in uh, my support group that I still do go to at Face It that we had mentioned earlier, and, and he works at Home Depot, and he loves it for the exact reason you said. You know, he gets a four- or five-minute conversation with somebody, gets to help yep. them out, and then it's on to the next person. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a part-time gig. It gets him out. It gives him a schedule. I think that's important for people who are really um, struggling with depression and don't have a job. If they can get any kind of job, even if it's not ideal at first, Mm -hmm. if it allows them to get out of the house, if it allows some kind of interaction, some kind of structure, um, I think that alone can be a a good kind of kickstart towards the recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Just having that, that structure, something other than you that you're doing. Yeah. Um, so I wanted, uh, to jump into, I know we kind of brushed over it a bit, but when you mentioned a suicide attempt, you, I think you had an S on the end. Um, so I'm gathering that there were more than you've had more than one attempt. Yeah. I, um, she's, uh, back early on. So around 13 years ago, uh, when things were really bad with my ex-wife, right around 30 or so, I bet. It must yeah. have been? Okay. Yeah. Um, no, you know what? I have that wrong. Probably 10 years ago. Okay. So 34. Right. Um, I, we had some fight about something. I punched a window out uh, and took off in the car. 
And my you initial plan. You didn't mention uh, anger being one of your symptoms. No, it's not. I'm I am I'm the least angry and violent <laughs> okay. person you'll you'll ever meet. Okay. Um, but right. I just walking out. I just had that. Yeah. You know, walked out the front and kind of turned to go down the stairs, and there was a window there, and I just smashed it. We just smashed it. Really yeah. stu- stupid, stupid thing. Um, and my plan was to just to just go to drive somewhere. Um, I took a bunch of money out of the bank so I'd have cash so no one could trace me. Mm. Um, and I was going to go, um, and for whatever reason I didn't, I actually, uh, went and stayed in a hotel in town, um, and was just such an emotional wreck. I mean, I was, you know, crying, not thinking straight, everything sucks. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. My my wife, the mother of my children, is, uh, you know, hates me. She thinks I'm a loser. How um, long were you at the hotel? I stayed the night. Okay. Um, but I took the coffee pot and smashed it on the floor um, so that I could have a shard of glass uh, right. uh, to start picking away at, at my wrist. Uh-huh. Um, it turns out that's a lot harder than you think it is, so... Uh, I didn't get very far with that. I did send a picture to my, my then wife mm-hmm. to say, and I, I probably captioned it something, something clever, but I, I couldn't tell you what it is. Um, and then the next day, uh, she had called the police department and they constructed a ruse where she was going to meet me. And in fact, you no, know, it was, uh, you know, deputy Bob or whoever it was right. who met me and they took me to a hospital. Um, and then from there, that was my first experience in a mental health ward. Mm. What, um, uh, why do you think you sent her the picture? I think I wanted her to be worried. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to turn the table of what I thought was true, that she didn't love me. She didn't care about me. And I, th- I think what I was going for was, oh, she'll, Oh my gosh, she'll back off and she'll, she'll love me once again. Right. Um, so deputy Bob takes you to the psych ward in in a hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Initially I was just in, um, I was just checked in. I was sitting, laying in a bed. Right. Um, just waiting and I got really frustrated, uh, you know, and I actually got up and walked out of the hospital uh, not sure where I was going to go. Didn't have my car, didn't have anything. Um, this big burly security guy was following me and I was like, uh, screw it. I'll, <laughs> I'll go back. So I went back and I, uh, I, they restrained me into the bed so I wouldn't get up again. Oh no. And, uh, then I kept saying, okay, when am I going to go? When am I going to go home? When am I going to go home? And they're like, no, you know what? We're going to, we're going to go upstairs for a little while. And, so I did the, as you called it, psych ward uh, deal. Um, and how like, many how many days? Uh, three. Okay. Just because I I play the game really well. Well, right. and yeah, and I've I've heard some people describe sometimes those types of stay, if they are brought there after such an attempt, 
is oftentimes just kind of suicide watch for the most part and not mm. really therapeutic in any way. Yeah, maybe w- so. What was your experience? Um, you know, my experience was there was this whole group of new people who had mental illnesses, um, some like me, some absolutely not like me. And my inquisitive part took over and I just was talking with people Mm -hmm. and you know, there was a, a a gentleman there who heard voices. So I was asking him about that. Like, do you hear them in your head? Do you hear them like two feet off to the right? You know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, everybody was just willing to talk about anything. Um, did you meet with therapists? Were they trying to adjust meds or give you meds? Yeah, there was just a change in medication and it was my first time on a mood stabilizer. Okay. Um, and I couldn't tell you if, if they were positive or not. Um, I stayed on the same prescriptions once I left the hospital. Um, and I can tell you they, they affected my, my libido for sure. Right. Um, and probably my, my overall emotional tone. Mm. Um, but no, no real, we had kind of group therapy and then, you know, meet with the psychiatrist and then meet with him again in two days, uh, in group therapy. And there's optional, Hey, if you want to do art, we're going to do art. We're going to watch a movie. We're going to do whatever. But no, I don't, I didn't have any one-on-one kind of talk therapy. And, And those activities sounded like they were optional. It wasn't like, Hey, it's arts and crafts time or yeah, a lot of it was optional. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I if mean, you that, chose that, to just sit in your room, you'd stay in your room. Right. Okay. Which I knew I wasn't going to do because I wanted to get out. Oh, right. So I made sure I was always out walking around and to show you know, them that you were able to, to get around fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Look at me. Right. It was just, uh, just a, an episode and yep. you know, I'm back to normal. I can get out of here. Yeah. Okay. So three days, three days passes. Yeah, three days. When I got out of there, I went, my folks were in Florida at the time, and I went and spent, I don't know, four, five, maybe six weeks with them, um, which culminated in an already planned vacation for the family to go to Florida to see them. So my wife and my kids came down. Uh, and then we all went back to Michigan together. Okay. And were you feeling all right at that time? Um, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling suicidal. I, I didn't, those kind of ideations didn't start, um, probably till, well, near the end of 2014. Mm-hmm. So, and were you and your wife, like you had the fight, you broke the glass, you ended up, uh, in the hospital for a few days and then did you did you uh you know talk about the situation again or did you just brush that off and you guys were back to normal how did no we were just work with your wife we were back to just a dysfunctional right um marriage okay so i think when i got back we i started sleeping on the couch at night uh and then i moved into we had a spare room with just a futon in there. Right. And I moved into there. Um, and so my four daughters, the, the, the two older ones are technically not mine. 
Okay. Um, from my ex-wife's first marriage. Right. But we, they call me dad. I call, you know, I introduce them as my daughters. Yeah. Um, so they kind of knew a little bit more about what was going on, but my two little ones were kind of too small to really, you know, all they knew is, you know, mom and dad weren't sleeping in the same room because dad snores a lot. And, right. Right. And, and it, it was, it's a true statement that I snore a lot. So they yeah. bought it pretty, pretty easily. Well, and it's tough, right? My kids were little too. And it's tough to know when to share and how much to share and, right. and you want them to understand and you don't want them to be scared. Right. Right. Yeah. I get that. So, so that was attempt one. Mm-hmm. Um, attempt the other time wasn't, I wouldn't go as far as calling it an attempt. Um, I took a vacation out to, uh, Grand Canyon and, uh, Sequoia National Forest kind of based in Las Vegas, but then I could kind of go wherever I wanted. Was this um, on your own? Yep. This was on my own. It was okay. kind of a, Hey, I need to, I need to get away. Stress at work was, you know, real or perceived stress was too much for me and I just needed to, to get away. Was this while you were still living in Michigan? Yes. Yeah, this was, um, as a family, my, my wife at the time got promoted uh, she was in retail as well, um, worked with Home Depot, uh, and she got promoted to get her own store up, you know, an hour and a half north of where we were. And it was her plan to just take the kids and leave me behind. Mm. And I'm not sure how we got around that. Um, but when, when she found a house that she wanted to move into with the girls, she made sure it had an extra room. And next thing I know, I was, I was in the house in that extra room. Okay. Um, and again, not, not at all living like husband and wife though we were still legally married. Uh, but you know, just kind of raising our kids together. Right. Um, for what, for what that's worth. Um, it, again, it seemed like the right thing to do for the girls. Um, so yeah, I went out, um, and I spent, I don't know, an hour and a half just sitting on the edge of a cliff at the Grand Canyon. I, uh, was picking up rocks and tossing them off the edge and calculating how long it took for them to hit the bottom, uh, and then calculate what the height of the bottom was. Um, and just sitting there with my feet dangling over the edge and I was, I was ready to just kind of push off and go. Right. Um, and then of, of all things, it occurred to me while I was sitting there that, oh my gosh, it's, it's, you know, my, what, my seven-year-old's birthday. Mm. Um, and it hadn't occurred to me when I, when I booked the flight and made the plans to go that I was going to miss her birthday. Right. Um, and she's so sweet that she didn't bring it up. Uh, my ex-wife probably was just happy to get rid of me for a little while. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it it just occurred to me while I was sitting there that, oh my gosh, I I can't do this today. Mm. This, this, you know, this can't be her birthday for the rest of her life. Right. Um, so I, I sat there for a little while longer, but then kind of almost begrudgingly got up and went and found my rental car and drove back to Las Vegas for the night. Was that, uh, do you think looking back on it, was that your, 
um, your plan and the reason you drove out towards the cliffs? Or were you just really sightseeing and hiking and such? Yeah, I had been to Grand Canyon once right after high school uh, with a buddy of mine. We took a big, long road trip. Uh, and I, I just knew that I liked it. It was very picturesque. Okay. Uh, so I, I don't think it was. Right. Um, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was, a, it was otherwise a good trip. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to see Penn and Teller live, front row, all oh, that kind awesome. of stuff. Cool. So then I'm guessing... Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but again, with the dysthymia and stuff, were you sitting at the edge of that cliff and it was just kind of, again, mundane, not, not a lot of emotions. You weren't yeah, crying. Not, you weren't sad about it. You weren't. No, I, I wasn't. I yeah. wasn't really feeling anything. It was just here I am. And somewhere down there's the bottom. Right. And that, um, that's a scary part. That's the, uh, spontaneity piece that, um, sometimes happens when people take their lives, right? I mean, it right. could have been a split second of this is what I'm going to do. Um, and thank goodness it wasn't like that. But, you know, I've, I wonder sometimes when people talk about how suicide is spontaneous or is it a planned event? And some people, lots of people say, well, it's, it's just a spontaneous act. And a lot of times I think back to, you know, a lot of people who went to the Golden Gate Bridge actually booked flights, international right. flights even, yep. and, and had a long thought out plan. And yes, maybe that last moment is spontaneous. And then I think others may be spontaneous. Uh, it, it's hard to say. Yeah, I think it's a mixed bag, mm-hmm. really. Because um, I, um, before I overdosed or tried to overdose on my my prescriptions, which is what happened a year, two and a half years ago, um, that was your third attempt then? Yeah, yeah, third. A third and final, I'm hoping? Uh, yes, as of today, that's okay. true. Let's keep um, it that way, JP. Yeah. Um, but I did just a, an amazing amount of research online to ways to to kill yourself. Mm. Um, I knew what medications I had available to me, so I was you know, researching what a lethal dose of Wellbutrin is. Right. And, you know, I found one site and it said this, I found another site and it said this. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't convinced that was the way I researched, you know, firearms. I researched strangulation, suffocation, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it wasn't a spur of the moment kind of thing for me. Right. And, And you did end up taking a bunch of pills then? Yeah, I, uh. Again, I was getting my prescriptions from my general practitioner, mm-hmm. um, and he put me on Wellbutrin 100s, uh, and you know, I got a three-month supply. And then I started, you know, Wellbutrin's very activating. It kind of gives you a little pep. Okay. Um, and I took that as, hey, this is this is good stuff. This is this is going to help me get back to work. Um, so I went and saw him. I said, okay, so I see, you know, that you know, it's up to 300 milligrams, but you know, can we go up to like 150? He's like, yeah, sure. So he did that. And the pharmacy filled it again for three months. Mm. So all of a sudden I had, you know, I forget what it was like 13 and a half grams of Wellbutrin. So was that your intentional plan when you asked him to go to one fifties, you were thinking no. I need more at home to kind of stockpile. No, it? I was okay. genuinely, 
hopeful that this right. was a, a good thing. Okay. Um, and it, you know, it, one of the side effects of Wellbutrin is it makes you eat a lot. Uh, uh, so then I think it was as simple as noticing I couldn't tighten my belt up was enough, you know, in just a matter of weeks. I was, you know, I was eating eight, ten cinnamon rolls and, <laughs> you know, donuts and. Not one of the healthier diets. No, <laughs> no, but it was just, you know, I was, I was on leave and I was just yeah. hanging out in my room watching TV, watching movies. Yeah. And I would just eat and eat and eat and eat. And I, I think that that kind of counteracted uh, whatever I was feeling from the Wellbutrin. Or, or it may just be, you know, you acclimate pretty quickly to different medications. Right. Um, and then I realized, wow, I've got, I've got this quantity. And really all I need is a couple spoons to crush it up and some place to be. And then, you know, it, it took a few days from there to decide, but yeah, I did. I, I knew it when I got up in the morning and I took my girls to school, told them I love them, that I'd see them later on. And, uh, no, in fact, I was supposed to fly out here to visit Nora that day. Mm. Um, and I, I had plans with my folks to take me to the airport. I called them and said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to drive. It's, I probably had some reason, but it wasn't any good. And, you know, off I went. I sat, you know, it was, I, I drove some 150 miles to the, the west side of Michigan. Mm. Uh, but I don't, I don't know why. There's a big gap in my day between dropping the girls off and sitting in my car outside a, a Meyer store, which is like a super target. Mm. And, uh, just, you know, I went in there, I bought some NyQuil, I bought, um, some anti-nausea over the counter kind of stuff. Cause I right. didn't want to throw up, you know, what I was taking. Mm -hmm. And I sat in the car and, you know, I remember crushing it up, crushing it up, crushing it up. And I actually, you know, downed the the medication with NyQuil you know so I most of a bottle of NyQuil right um, and then apparently I at some point I wandered into the store and that's how I got to the hospital okay um, yeah what uh, do you remember like what was going through your mind when you were crushing up the meds nope no, I, um, it, it was just, it, as again, as I recall it, it's just, this is what I'm doing. This right. Is, this is it. This is like making matter. macaroni and cheese for the girls. Yeah. Matter of fact. Yep. Right. Yep. And, uh, apparently my, my inquisitive side took hold a little bit. Uh, I had a, a galaxy phone. And it was right when they started being able to test your pulse with a light on the back of the phone. Whoa. Have you, did you ever see that? Never heard of it. Yeah. Um, and turns out I was, and then you could save it. Uh, you could track it, um, as I, you know, for health, health reasons. Right. And apparently I made a tag called suicide and I kept checking my pulse as time went on. Oh, whoa. Yeah, and I I didn't know that until afterwards, you know, 
probably a week afterwards when I was kind of nosing through my phone. Right. Like, oh, what is the, what is this? And yeah, I mean, it, it got up to 180 Oof. something. So I, I wandered into the store and, you know, I, I saved myself, I guess, yeah. is, is what it was. But And then did that end up in another trip to the hospital? Yeah, well, I was brought to the hospital right away. Um, and I was in the emergency room. I guess I had a couple seizures. Um, and then they just put me into a room. And I don't, I vaguely recall waking up, uh, no idea on time of day, anything. Um, and I was vaguely aware of someone in the room with me. And it was, it was actually a year afterwards that I realized that was, that was a nurse or somebody who was there just to, was on suicide watch. Right. You know, that was, <clears throat> somebody was spending 24 hours a day with me for that time. Mm. Um, and then what I thought was the next day, I realized, okay, matter of factly, I guess I need to call somebody because I can't just live at the hospital. Uh, and my friend Dave, his was the only phone number I could remember in my great big haze. Right. Um, it turns out it was six o'clock in the morning when I called him um, the day after, though. So I was I was in the hospital for 36 hours. Um really unaware of it. I, I really thought it was the next morning or the next day that I was calling him. So, you know, the whole 36 hours are, are lost. Right. And, you know, I got a hold of him. So then he got a hold of Nora and got a hold of my ex-wife, got a hold, you know, because by that point I was, I was missing. Nora was expecting me to get off the plane on the 21st. Um, you know, I was officially missing and nobody had any idea. Um, and they, Nora and my ex-wife did some sleuth work and found out some information that I, apparently I posted on Craigslist that I was going to kill myself and somebody, some woman saw it and messaged me. Um, and that was, that was it from that. Um, but, uh, Nora and my ex-wife pulled my phone records, saw that weird number. Uh, Nora called her and explained just that. That you know he he posted this and Nora found it. Um, so then when I call Dave and he gets the word out, Nora packs up and starts driving out whatever it is eleven hours uh, to come out and see me in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan is where I was. Um, you know my friend Dave came out, my parents came out, um, and I say this, but I don't remember any of that. Right. I don't remember. Dave being there I don't remember my folks and other than it's part of the the dialogue about the the event right I don't remember Nora being there or having any conversations with Nora uh -huh. and this includes while I was in the the mental health ward okay <clears throat> I just you know whether I you know I, I couldn't explain why you know, I, I tend to have a pretty poor memory and I, I think it's a little poorer since that last attempt. Right. Um, I harbor my own feelings that I damaged something mm -hmm. during that. So that was 36 hours combined in the hospital and the mental health ward. 36 no, hours? No, just 36 hours just in the hospital. Okay. And then they moved you to the mental health ward? Yep. Which was in a different building 
and I don't recall that transport either. Right. Um, and then I, I think I was there four or five days. Okay. Similar to your other hospital stay that you described? Yeah, same kind of thing. Okay. Just, um, yeah, I think maybe we had a little one-on-one therapy, but I don't, I don't recall it. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of a lot of group stuff because obviously, the more group stuff you do, the fewer nurses you need to have. Right. You know. Right. Um, psychiatrist, and it was there that it first came up that maybe I have borderline personality disorder. Okay. How long ago was this incident? <clears throat> this was two and a half years ago. Okay, right. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and same thing. I just, I, I knew I didn't want to be there, so I played the game, talked with people, was always nice, was always helpful, you know, going to see the psychiatrist, how you feeling? You know, I'm feeling a little bit better. Right, right. <laughs> but I, I know it. now that I, I was far from yeah. feeling better. Right. Well, I don't know who could feel better if you're down enough to be attempting to take your own life. And then three days, four or five days later, they expect you are better. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I hear stories and I know people um, from Twitter who, you know, when they were in the mental health ward after their suicide attempt, they would try again. And I, I can't imagine that right and um you know there's is sometimes when i think how kind of terrible my story sounds i i know that there are others who are dealing with you know 10 times what i'm dealing with and you know not to say oh pity them but it's it's amazing what what kind of stories you hear yeah the more involved you get ah, that's true what uh, you know i'd love to move on and hear um about your podcast and your blog. I know you've got a website, you've got a podcast, a blog. Um, tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, so the podcast came first, um, and I started it out. I'm not a good journaler. I'm not a good writer. Um, I tend to discount everything that I do. So anytime I've started a journal, you know, invariably three, four days later, I go back and read it and say, Oh, this is, this is the biggest heap of trash. Um, what, what the hell was I thinking when I wrote that? Um, and so that falls apart. I'm not, I'm not a crafter. I'm not a, you know, anything like that. Um, I had done podcasts before with my friend Dave. And so what I thought I would do is just do an audio journal online. Mm. Um, and it, my intention wasn't even to share it with anybody. In fact, I, I, I took pains to kind of, not very well, but alter my voice. So if someone were to come across it, who knew me, that they maybe wouldn't know it was me. Right. Um, so it just started out as that, like, hey, here's some thoughts I'm having about depression. Or here's a story I read about some medication that's, you know, shows promising for depression. How long ago was this that you started the podcasts? Uh, just over a year ago. Okay. Fantastic. Um, yeah. I, I intended it to be once a week. Uh, and there's just now 50 episodes, I think, available. That's a lot. Um, yeah. Um, and 
I think it was two or three weeks after I started doing it, I got an email from this guy, Johnny, in New York City. And I've, I've used his name and location before. So, uh, And he was like, hey, I was just on iTunes and I was looking, I searched for depression and I found your podcast and I like it. Cool. And yeah, it was, it was, it was really neat. Um, and then after a little bit, I got another email from somebody, uh, who it was just passing like, Hey, you know, Johnny and I had a lot of back and forth. Um, but this other person was just, Hey, saw your, you know, listen to your podcast. I like it. I replied back, but nothing that was, you know, a dead end. Right. Um, and then once I realized that I had listeners, I found that my podcast changed from me kind of talking out things going on in my head to trying to educate other people. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, it is and it isn't, right? Because I really got away from what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so it, no, it ebbed and flowed. It changed, uh, you know, the, the focus kind of changed. It's certainly a noble a noble um, goal still to help educate and help others. Yeah, I went through a little while where I was trying to have at least one, you know, kind of prescient point that, hey, here's here's the little nugget you should take away from the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I tried for a little bit doing uh, having pretend sponsors. Okay. And say, like, this episode is brought to you by uh, uh, ketamine. Because you know, there's a lot of research and you know byproducts, breakdown products of ketamine as being um, useful for people with uh, non-responsive depression. Right. You know, so I, and I talked a little bit about that. So that was like my nugget of information. Also, kind of tongue in cheek. Hey, look, I have a sponsor. Yeah. Kind of thing. Right. Um, and your and, blog, your uh, podcast continues today, right? It's been yep. a, a year, a year long. Yeah. And, uh, and the, the, the focus right is, now is, is similar, right? In your current focus with your podcast. Yeah, it's, it's still the same. I, I'm trying, basically, I, I think about the listeners now before I put it out, before mm-hmm. I think about what I want to say, um, which is good, I guess. I have um, subscribed. I have listened to a couple. I want to listen oh, to thank you. a lot more. Um, I noticed you had Nora, your wife, on a couple times as well. Yep, yep, yeah. I wish I could have her on more often, but she's a little, she's a little gun shy. Oh, that's awesome that she's participating yep. in it with you. What um, you got a favorite, a favorite episode or something you could share with us? Um, a favorite topic that you've discussed? Yeah, you know my my favorite one, which hasn't gotten a lot of play, is the story of uh, when I went about trying to get myself precluded from being able to purchase a firearm. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> um, I found myself one day inside a Cabela's shopping handguns and uh, just, I, you know, geez, my, my wife is really concerned because there's a lot of break-ins in the neighborhood. She wants to have a gun in the house. And, you know, tell me what's, what's best for, like, close-range stopping power and, you know, all these things. Um, and I... The guy gave me all this information. He's like, yep, you're going to, do you want a class? Hey, yeah, you know what? I should probably take a class for this. Um, you know, the whole thing. And the gun that I had picked out, which I couldn't tell you what it was, was $450. And I 
didn't have that in cash and I certainly didn't want to charge it mm. um, and have Nora say, hey, what's this big purchase at Cabela's? Um, so I was determined that, okay, I, I just have to shelf this for, I don't know, four weeks, five weeks till I can kind of secretly stash away that kind of money. Um, and by the time I got home, I realized what I had been doing and it, it shocked me and I was really, really concerned about what I was doing. Um, and I thought, well, there's nothing stopping me from doing this. Like, like I, I, I pulled myself out of it this time only because I didn't have the money. Right. But what's going to stop me next time? And I thought, well, you know, what if I just couldn't pass you know, get a, a license to carry, um, a license to buy, to purchase a firearm. And so I spent weeks trying to find out if this was such a thing that I could do. And, you know, I talked to Ramsey County Sheriff. I talked to the city lawyers. I talked to people at uh, Human Services. I went to the FBI building here. Wow. Um, you were serious about it. Yeah. Yeah, serious, and, uh, serious about making sure you would not be able to purchase the right, gun. Right. Wow. Um, and it turns out eventually, um, I got word back from the FBI. It's like, yeah, we have this. It's called a self-submission form, and you just fill it out. Have your psychiatrist or therapist sign it. You know, saying that you, you've discussed all this and you right. know ramifications. And I did, and so now I. I could not purchase a firearm legally if I wanted to. Wow, that is that's awesome. It's awesome that you went through all that trouble to help figure it out. Um, and it's awesome that you just shared with our listeners that they can actually do something like that. I never knew about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I figured there had to be something. And yeah. I, I wasn't willing to go the route of committing a felony. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I couldn't. Right. Um, and obviously, you know, I said I can't purchase one legally. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't think even in my most depressed states that I'm the type of person who would know how to navigate purchasing a firearm illegally. Right, right. Um, so I want to ask you a question about that. You mentioned something that I can completely relate to, but I'm wondering how you can explain it. You mentioned like you got home from the, the store yep. and you were kind of like, wow, I can't believe I just did that. And I experienced that, too, in a couple of different ways. One way that comes to my mind right away was my own research on the Internet for how I was going to kill myself. And I slammed my laptop shut and was like, holy crap, I don't believe I was just looking this up. Yeah. So how do you I mean, is it kind of like a surreal deal or like an out of mind, out of body experience where you're at the store and you don't even really realize it till you get home? How how would you describe that? Now I see now now this is where boring JP comes out and it, it again it was just you are not take, boring just taking out the trash man I was <laughs> you know I I don't recall the thought process that went into getting to Cabela's yeah um I know very clearly that I that was my intention when I went out that day was to shop handguns right um and I think just Google on my phone, you know, Cabela's seemed like the most innocuous place, right? If I go into a gun shop, then mm. it's all it's all about guns. Right, right, right. At least Cabela's, hey, I can check out fishing lures or whatnot. Yeah. Um, no pressure, just to kind of talk to guys. Right. Um, and it, 
really it was kind of playing the game. Like I said, I, you know, I said all the right words I thought and, you know, probably did too much to make it sound like I wasn't shopping for suicide reasons. Yeah. Um, and then when I got home, it was, uh, you know, to use the trash analogy again, it's like you find out that, you know, there's another bag of trash that didn't go out. Right. And it's like, Oh, Hey, what was I doing? What? And then, you know, I, I didn't feel panic in my search for finding, you know, a way so I couldn't purchase a firearm. Right. I felt frustration. Yeah. Because, you know, every person I talked to was, sorry, I have no idea. Uh, good luck to you. Good for you for trying. Right. Like, right. To a, to a person, it was like, nope, can't help you. Good for you. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned this was one of your favorite podcast episodes. It, does the episode just kind of go through the description and, and talk about how you uh, took yourself to Cabela's and share that yeah. story with the well, listeners? I, yeah, I had typed up the whole thing and put it on my blog. Okay. Uh, and then essentially I just, you know, I had a little intro and then I, I read that story and, you know, then a little, a little outro. Okay. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> which is usually, Hey, I've babbled on long enough. Uh, see you guys next time. I, uh, you know, like I said, I haven't listened to enough, but I have listened to a few and I love your podcast. I think, um, it sounds very professional. Like you mentioned your, um, the intro and the, the end of it, those pieces, as well as I think you just have a great, uh, radio voice. Oh, well, I'm actually thanks. very jealous of it. <laughs> <laughs> So that's your podcast. You said you started yep. blogging, but you kind of gave up on that, and that was the shift to the podcast. Did I get that right? No, the podcast was first. And okay. The blog is, it, I want to do it right. I want to have show notes for every episode. I want to put stuff on there. I've even employed Nora to, you know, she's got her own tags, so if she can she can put up a blog post and tag okay. it as Nora's thoughts. Okay, right. Um, but I think it goes back to the journaling kind of thing that I I just, it doesn't come as naturally to me as just kind of talking to no one. Right, right. Um, and it so you utilize your blog primarily for the show notes and to to discuss what's on the podcast. Well, that's that's how I want it to run. Okay, but it doesn't. I can't remember the last time I put show notes up. I've I well, you know what? I've done two shows where I've used um, other people's music. Mm-hmm. Um, in both of those, I made sure I had you know, show notes so I could link to their music and their, you know, their iTunes account and things like that. Right. Cool. Well, it's awesome. And if our listeners here want to, um, check out your blog and your podcast, what's the easiest way for them to find it? They can just look up, uh, Jamolki, J-A-M-O-A-L-K-I, which is a conglomeration of the first two letters of each of my girls' names. Oh, awesome. I was wondering where that name came from. Can you spell that one more time? Yeah, J-A-M-O-A-L-K-I. So it, it's it's pretty unique. So if you just Google that, you'll find me. Great, great. Awesome. Any um, kind of last final thoughts, words of hope for listeners, suggestions? No, what, what I always try to tell people is, you know, as difficult a time as you're having no matter how much you want to give up or feel like there's no way out that I honestly believe there's a path for everybody mm. to, you know, mental well-being. 
And just because you're not on that path right now doesn't mean you're not going to find it. So if things look down, don't give up because your path is there. You just got to keep looking. Ah, that's awesome. A perfect way to end. Uh, JP, I want to thank you for your time. Make sure oh, thank you, can, you Al. Make sure you continue on your path, man. Stop uh, beating yourself up. Do what it takes. Uh, you have a lot to offer people. I can tell you are a kind-hearted, um, caring person. And, uh, yeah, stay on that path and uh, continue uh, your path of recovery and getting healthy. Yep, day at a time, man. All right. Thanks for your time, JP. It was great. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you for listening to The Depression Files. Please know that if you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the United States, you can text to 741741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you're a man who has experienced depression and would like to be interviewed for the show, please reach out to me on Twitter at Al Levin 18. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files. <laughs>